welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin. And just a reminder to everyone that the I Am teachings are not for the purposes of judging or condemning anyone but for the correction of the inner human condition and for uplifting and raising us to higher heights by expanding our consciousness. However, it is not expected that everyone will be drawn to them, and that's fine. For small is the gate and never the road that leads to light, and only a few find it. But for those of you who are drawn to the messages, know that it is by the spirit of the living God within you that has directed you. Y'all can always find the messages on the website at winruffin.com. And now, as always, I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and other selves. But if not, and there be a lack for whatever reasons, just remember, our individual evolution starts with ourselves, regardless of our circumstances, appearances, or people. And one teeny-weeny divine spark in one person will ignite another divine spark in another. And one itsy-bitsy divine flame in somebody else will light another divine flame in the next until the collective consciousness of all mankind becomes one massive illumining light of divine healing, transforming, and protective power fueled by the love and light of the spirit of the living God within us, our mighty I Am Presence. Sounds unbelievable, huh? But it is possible, though. When once mankind get tired of trotting the same old dusty roads and prepare themselves for the three to four switch over, because it's coming. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. The Alchemical Laboratory The true alchemist requires no ingredients for his processes, such as he could buy in a chemist's shop. He finds the materials which he needs within his own organization. The highest processes of alchemy require no mechanical labor, they consist in the purification of the soul, and in transforming animal man into a divine being. The invisible principles of which the constitution of man is made up are called as metals, because they are more lasting and enduring than flesh and blood. The metals which are formed by his thoughts and desires will continue to exist after the perishing elements constituting his physical body have been dissolved. Man's animal principles are the base metals of which his animal organization consists, they must be changed into nobler metals by transforming his vices into virtue, until they pass through all colors and turn into the gold of pure spirituality. To accomplish this it is necessary that the grossest elements in his astral form should die and putrefy so that the light of the spirit penetrate through the hard shell and call the inner man into life and activity. There are no hard lines separating the various kingdoms in nature, and the actions of laws manifested in one kingdom find their analogies in other kingdoms. The processes taking place in the spiritual planes are also taking place in the astral and material planes, subject, of course, to such modifications as are imposed by the conditions existing upon these planes. Nature is not, as your scientists seem to believe, 
an agglomeration of fundamentally different objects and elements, nature as a whole, and everything in the organism acts and is acted on by every other thing contained therein. This is a fact which the ancient alchemists knew, and which the modern chemists would do well to remember, for we find already in the book of Sohar the following passage, everything that exists upon the earth has its ethereal counterpart above the earth, that is to say, in the inner realm, and there is nothing, however insignificant it may appear in the world, which is not depending on something higher, or more interior, so that if the lower part acts, its presiding higher part reacts upon it. Within yourself is contained the universe with all its powers, heaven and hell, angels and devils, and all the kingdoms with their inhabitants, and you may call them into life at your pleasure. You are the God and Creator within your own universe. You continually people that world with forms, coming into existence by your thoughts, and you infuse them with your life by the power of will. The universal process, by which all the processes of life take place, is the unfoldment of life. He who can guide and control the power of life is an alchemist. He can create new forms and increase the substance of those forms. The chemist creates nothing new, he merely forms new combinations of the substances in his possession, the alchemist causes the substance to attract corresponding elements from the invisible storehouse in nature, and to increase. The chemist deals with matter in which the principle of life is inactive, that is to say, in which it manifests itself merely as mechanical or chemical energy, the alchemist deals with the principle of life, and causes living forms to come into existence. The chemist may transform sulfur into invisible gas and cause that gas to become sulfur again, and the sulfur obtained at the end of the experiment will be just as much in quantity as it was at the beginning, but the gardener who puts a seed in the ground, and prepares the conditions necessary for that seed to grow into a tree, is an alchemist because he calls something into existence which did not exist ready-made in the seed, and out of one seed he may thus obtain a thousand seeds of the same kind. Let me then tell you once more that nature is a unity, and that consequently each particle of matter, even the smallest, is a part of nature in which the possibilities of the whole are hidden. Each speck of dust may under favorable conditions develop into a universe in which all the elements existing in nature can be found. The reason why your scientists are unable to comprehend this truth is because their fundamental doctrines about the constitution of matter and energy are entirely wrong. Your dualism in theology has been the cause of untold misery, creating a continual quarrel between God and the devil, your polytheism in science blinds the eyes and obstructs the judgment of the learned, and keeps them in ignorance. What do you know about the attributes of primordial matter? What do you know about the difference between matter and force? All the so-called simple substances known to your science are originally grown out of primordial matter. But this primordial matter is a unity, it is only one. Consequently each particle of this primordial matter must be able to grow under certain conditions into gold, under other conditions to produce iron, under others mercury, etc. This is what the ancient alchemists meant when they said that each of the seven metals contains the seeds of the other seven, and they also taught that, for the purpose of transmuting one body into another, the body to be transmuted would have to be reduced first into its prima materia. The seed for the production of plants grows in the plants themselves, the seed for the production of animals grows in the animals, the seed for the production of metals rests in the metals. It is not sufficient merely to melt a metal, to make it grow, it must be made subject to the power of life. With the Adepts, An Adventure Among the Rosicrucians, by Franz Hartmann, 1910. Isis Unveil, 
chapter 13. Our greatest wonder is, that the very men who view the human body simply as a digesting machine should object to the idea that if some equivalent for metalline could be applied between its molecules, it should run without friction. Man's body is taken from the earth, or dust, according to Genesis, which allegory bars the claims of modern analysts to original discovery of the nature of the inorganic constituents of human body. If the author of Genesis knew this, and Aristotle taught the identity between the life principle of plants, animals, and men, our affiliation with Mother Earth seems to have been settled long ago. Elie de Beaumont has recently reasserted the old doctrine of Hermes that there is a terrestrial circulation comparable to that of the blood of man. Now, since it is a doctrine as old as time, that nature is continually renewing her wasted energies by absorption from the source of energy, why should the child differ from the parent? Why may not man, by discovering the source and nature of this recuperative energy, extract from the earth herself the juice or quintessence with which to replenish his own forces? This may have been the great secret of the alchemists. Stop the circulation of the terrestrial fluids and we have stagnation, putrefaction, death. Stop the circulation of the fluids in man, and stagnation, absorption, calcification from old age, and death ensue. If the alchemists had simply discovered some chemical compound capable of keeping the channels of our circulation unclogged, would not all the rest easily follow? And why, we ask, if the surface waters of certain mineral springs have such virtue in the cure of disease and the restoration of physical vigor, is it illogical to say that if we could get the first runnings from the alembic of nature in the bowels of the earth, we might, perhaps, find that the fountain of youth was no myth after all. Jennings asserts that the elixir was produced out of the secret chemical laboratories of nature by some adepts, and Robert Boyle, the chemist, mentions a medicated wine or cordial which Dr. Lefebvre tried with wonderful effect upon an old woman. Alchemy is old as tradition itself. The first authentic record on this subject, says William Godwin, is an edict of Diocletian, about 300 years after Christ, ordering a diligent search to be made in Egypt for all the ancient books which treated of the art of making gold and silver, that they might be consigned to the flames. This edict necessarily presumes a certain antiquity to the pursuit, and fabulous history has recorded Solomon, Pythagoras, and Hermes among its distinguished votaries. H.P. Blavatsky This question of transmutation, this alkahest or universal solvent, which comes next after the elixir vitae in the order of the three chemical agents. Is the idea so absurd as to be totally unworthy of consideration in this age of chemical discovery? How shall we dispose of the historical anecdotes of men who actually made gold and gave it away, and of those who testify to having seen them do it? Labavius, Geberus, Arnoldus, Thomas Aquinas, Bernardus Cums, Ioannes, Penitus, Cresetinus Gaber, the Arabian father of European alchemy, Eugenius Philolethes, Bachista Porta, Rubius, Dornisius, Bogolius, Iranius Philolitha Cosmopolita, and many medieval alchemists and hermetic philosophers assert the fact. Must we believe them all visionaries and lunatics, these otherwise great and learned scholars? Francesco Picus, in his work De Oro, gives 18 instances of gold being produced in his presence by artificial means, and Thomas Vaughan, going to a goldsmith to sell 1,200 marks worth of gold, when the man suspiciously remarked that the gold was too pure to have ever come out of a mine, ran away, leaving the money behind him. In a preceding chapter we have brought forward the testimony of a number of authors to this effect. H. P. Blavatsky
The I Am Discourses, Volume 14. Tonight, I hope you will call forth all the power of the all-seeing eye in the north wall of the Royal Teton. That was placed in this nation in the beginning as a focus of the eternal sacred fire sustaining perfection for this portion of the world. Beloved Elohim Cyclopea, since the all-seeing eye of God's activities is permanently established in the retreat of the royal Teton to pour forth its cosmic rays and action of the flame throughout the centuries, then from the inner standpoint, I would like to have you see that the all-seeing eye of God is the consciousness of light that has watched over America, and which still watches. The power of that eye, heretofore, was only released once in a hundred years. Under the action of the cosmic law, it has been pouring forth its purifying activities once in six months. Now you can see the proportion, or increase, with which the cosmic law acts, in comparison to that cycle wherein the law of the individual's free will was paramount. When you understand that every activity of the sacred fire or the cosmic light is some life streams, love to the rest of life, you will know what it means to draw forth into the physical conditions of this world the purifying love of the sacred fire, the purifying love of the great great silence, and the purifying love of every retreat of the ascended masters throughout the world. So it is tonight, when the mighty cosmic presence of beloved Cyclopea draws forth from the physical sun and the great central sun, the mighty light rays that are to go forth through the great eye in the north wall of the royal Teton. When that mighty stream of electronic force is poured forth to various places in the nation and the world, try to realize that it is love illumining the atmosphere of the nation and the world. It is the love of his mighty life stream pouring forth that which is constructive throughout the world, and it is the illumining presence of everything that is constructive, which he draws forth from the great central sun, and so can it be with you. Beloved Lanto Beloved of the light, as we give an explanation this hour of what your activities are producing from the inner level, I hope you will understand the privilege that is yours, and the power you have to set into action the many powers of the cosmic laws blessing to the earth through the activities of the sacred fire and cosmic light substance. I want to explain something so that each of you knows what is being done when you hold a picture of one or more of the ascended host, or the cosmic beings, or you hold the picture of a sun presence, the heart presence, or a star presence of these activities from the heights of eternal perfection. Do not ever allow your intellect to say, well, I can't visualize. You are using pictures every waking moment, with your eyes open or shut, and you are using pictures every moment the physical body is asleep. There is no time that the all-seeing eye of God is not acting through life everywhere. Therefore, when you are in physical embodiment, the control of the power of vision within the mind, or through the, what you call the physical sight, through the eyes, your power of vision is acting through you to contact that which is in the world of manifestation around you. Therefore, you are creating and building and photographing upon yourselves some form of life all the time. You have a discriminating faculty, and if you do not refuse to see that which is destructive, then it's going to come into you. And if it be destructive and you take it into yourselves, it's going to destroy you. You can't fool the law of energy and vibration. Everything in manifestation is producing an effect upon life, upon substance, upon energy everywhere. Therefore, it is your responsibility to take control of your mind, take control of your attention, hold control of your feeling, which means the energy of your emotional body, and definitely direct, create, and hold the picture of the perfection you want, and absolutely forbid a picture of something you do not want to come to your attention. Beloved Elohim Cyclopea, 